everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 169 of the John Riley Project. And man, we're looking forward to this podcast for about a week now. The Padres season is wrapped up. They've had a great regular season getting ready for the playoffs. So we welcome back to the podcast Padres commentator, sports journalist, David Leland. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. I'm fired up for Wednesday afternoon, game one against the St. Louis Cardinals. Like you said, great regular season, 37 and 23. That translates to around 100 wins over 162. So just a great regular season. Can you imagine if the Padres yeah, played 162 games and had 100 wins? Did they ever, in 84 or in 98, did they ever get to 100? No, the record is uh, 98 and 64 in 1998. That's the best record ever. 98 and 98. Yeah, so, there you uh, go. That's easy to remember. Um, so, yeah, what a fantastic regular season. And I think they exceeded even your expectations. So oh, big time. Big time. So take, tell us where you, where you want to go. What do you want to discuss? You want to talk about the regular season? You want to talk about the playoffs? What, what are your thoughts? We're going to talk about it all. First thing I want to get out of the way is you can't even make the argument that, oh, we just made it in because of the format or they just made it in because it was a short season. Because like I said, over 162 games, that translates to 100 wins. I mean, now, even if they played a little less than that pace, probably still would have won in the 90s. They'd be the first wild card under the previous format. And they could have, let's just say this was 162 games, and they were 37-23. and 23. And they just played 500 baseball over the final 102. They'd win 88 games, and the National League, second wild card in the National League last year, the Milwaukee Brewers, I believe it was 88 or 89 wins. So they, they would have made it in a normal format, a normal season. I don't see how you can make that argument. Yeah, just a, just a great season by the team. And by the way, um, for those of you that are watching on the live stream, you can type in um, your comments and questions in the Facebook or YouTube comments, and we'll you know brought, we'll share those comments on the air, and and you can join in the discussion. You know, this is kind of going back a bit, but I was around I think nineteen ninety three or so, and I remember the Giants had won like a hundred games, but came in second place. Uh, to the Braves. That was before they went to the three divisions in the National League. Uh, so, yeah, with the Padres had a great year. The Dodgers a little bit better. Um, but, wow, uh, what would the Dodgers project out to by probably about 110, right? Well, they went 43 and 17, and 40 and 20 would be would project you for 108 wins. So, yeah, about 110. Yeah, that's something. What a year, man. <laughs> what a year. So, yeah, it's legit. The Padres are legit. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and they, they had a really nice trade deadline, too. I mean, Mitch Moreland hasn't done much, really, but they didn't give up anything for him. He gave up two guys that you were going to lose in the Rule 5. You know, you paid a little bit of a steep price for Austin Nola, but, hey, it's a catcher that can hit. We did give up Taylor Trammell, though. That's the only guy that I'll really miss. Cal Quantrill a little, too, although we got great pitching depth, and that was the best piece we gave up for Mike Clevenger, for crying out loud. So, Right, And then Trevor Rosenthal has been fantastic since we got him from Kansas City. Just really just really nice deadline for A.J. Preller. Made the team better. Didn't give up anything long term. You know, thumbs up, two thumbs up. Good job, A.J. Preller. Yeah, it just seemed like he traded away a lot of pieces that didn't fit the long-term vision. You know, whether they were Rule 5 expirations or or guys like Ty France, who we all loved and is a great hitter, but there was no place on the field for him. 
you know, yeah, the, the Aztec, Aztec for life. So it, he made some great deals. So you got to give him credit. And, you know, there's still a lot of A.J. Preller haters out there. Which I don't understand at all. Oh, completely. I mean, Padres in such better condition. I mean, remember Billy Epler? He just got fired by the Angels. And wasn't he hired the same year as Preller? Uh, he was hired a year later, but we almost hired Epler over Preller back in 2014. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to, you know, Preller has been fantastic. So good for him and good for the team. Yeah, absolutely. So um, any, what are you, what are the big highlights for you in the regular season? What are some of the things that really stood out to you? Slam Diego, baby. Set that record, hitting a grand slam four games yeah. in a row. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, on, on the fourth day, um, I did the pick the stick and I chose Hosmer and I predicted the fourth grand slam that's and it came true. true. Yeah, it is. Um, so all good. Yeah, that's fantastic. What a ride this year has been. And even though the last part of the season, there's been a, you know, it's been a little bit lackluster. Some of the guys are in slumps, it's still been a great year. I mean, it's hard to complain when it's lackluster and meaningless games because you already clinched the playoffs by and home field in the first round. Yeah, so home field, I guess home field still matters even without a crowd, right? I mean, they yeah, in baseball, in baseball it does because, especially because, you know, football, you know, it's just, it's all the same field, basketball, the same court, hockey, all the same ice. But in baseball, the field dimensions are different. And, you know, a lot of times teams build to their ballpark. So it absolutely still matters in baseball. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Um, but, you know, they're, they're playing St. Louis, and we've got uh, – We've had our trouble with St. Louis in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a little scary, too, because they're pitching uh, Kim, the South Korean rookie. Southpaw had a really good season, actually, and we haven't hit lefties particularly well, and we still don't know the status of Clevenger and Lamette's injuries. But they were throwing today. I think I saw some clips of uh, them throwing on flat ground. Yeah, but they're but they're talking about throwing a bullpen tomorrow. Typically, guys don't throw a bullpen and then start the next day. So it looks like their status is pretty iffy for game one. And then you know what if it has to go Davies or Davies or Paddock against Kim? That's a little iffy. And then if you lose game one, you get you got to beat Flaherty and Wainwright back to back. And I mean, I know Flaherty didn't have good numbers this year, but I mean, it's kind of just a fluke thing. You know, they had the Shore and Summer Camp after they came back from the shutdown. And so it's, so numbers can be kind of a fluke this year. Flaherty was terrific last year. He's a very talented young pitcher. And then Wainwright, not as dominant as he used to be, but he was good this year and he's certainly been around the block in those big games. So don't want to face him in a winner go home, which is what we'd be faced with in a game three. So game one is absolutely crucial for the Padres. And it worries me that they have to go against Kim. He was really good and we struggle against lefties and we don't even know who's going to start game one. Makes me a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. So is Lamette out for one? There's no way he can pitch in game one? I would be surprised. Um, it's just, I don't know. They've been very vague on that. I I just don't know. Mm. You know, in a three-game series, man, I mean, you got to win the first game, you know? And otherwise, you're you're at risk of going two in barbecue. <laughs> and we used to joke about that when the kids played a double elimination in the brackets. You don't want to go over and go home after two games. No, and it's another thing that's scary about a three-game series, too, is it's a small enough sample size. One guy can just have a monster game or two, and that kills you. Like, Paul Goldschmidt, 
is a 300, 417, 528. That's a 945 career OPS against us. And he's in the middle of that St. Louis lineup, and he looked more like the Paul Goldschmidt we were used to seeing in Arizona. So that's another worry, too. Well, I remember last time you got together with me on the podcast, you thought the were a likely first-round uh, team, and you were a little worried about them. Yeah, I mean, just the history and, you know, having to face Flaherty and Wainwright and Kim and, you know, just having to face Goldie in a short series with his history against us, sketchy. This is a much tougher matchup than people think. They're like, oh, St. Louis was barely 500. You know, their offense wasn't great. You know, we should beat them. I'm telling you, this is a tough matchup against St. Louis, and we know our history against them. It's not good. No. I mean, we got swept in 96. Yes, we and did. Then we swept in 05 and then won at one yeah. game in 06. Or do I have those backwards? No, um, you're right. We were swept in 05. We lost the first two at home in 06. I was at game one when Poole hit that bomb off PV. Hmm. Yeah, so 10, 10 games in the playoffs against the Cardinals. We've only won one. And now so, we got to win two out of three. Yeah. So we have some business to take care of, some uh, some old grudges that we got to settle. Absolutely. Uh, and another thing, too, is Clevenger being hurt. It just shows that these trade these trade deadline trades, they get so much hype. Everyone's like, what's the next one that's going to be like that? But And I can't believe it took me this many times into doing these podcasts, being as big of a Star Wars fan as I am to make a Star Wars reference. But it's kind of, to me, like, what Luke was telling um, Ray in episode eight, The Last Jedi, he was like, the Jedi are romanticized, deicized, but if you look deeper, their history is actually kind of failure. And I mean, I, I use that analogy because every summer you see it in the trade day, like people are like, oh, who's going to be the next one that's going to do it and be great? But you look deeper into these, most of them aren't like Verlander with Houston in 2017, where they get him, he dominates in September, and he carries them through the postseason to win the World Series, that doesn't happen most of the time. No. I mean, Randy Johnson is one of, going to Houston in 98. It's one of the big ones that they always talk about because he dominated the last two months for Houston. He lost twice against us, the Padres, in the NLDS that year. Yeah, one of those games, wasn't it um, Kevin Brown against uh, – um, the Astrodome, right? Game one. Yeah, yeah, that was a big game. And, yeah, yeah kudos to, to Kevin Brown for defeating Randy Johnson. That was yeah. huge. And another one, the, the the one trade deadline acquisition, like of a starting pitcher like that, that always gets romanticized by the media is CeCe Sabathian. Yeah, CeCe Sabathian was fantastic. He got Milwaukee in the playoffs that year. No doubt about that. But he lost game two of the NLDS, gave up the grand slam to Shane Victorino. They lost the series to Philadelphia. He left as a free agent. And one of the guys that Milwaukee sent to Cleveland in that deal was Michael Brantley. <laughs> Wow. Another one, Cliff Lee, when he went to Texas in 2010. Then he lost twice in the World Series against uh, San Francisco. That's right. He did. So I remember that. It's so, like, like I said in the analogy, the romanticized, deicized, like, oh, my God, look what they did. Look how much of an impact it made. But it doesn't have a happy ending most of the time. And it's kind of looking like the same thing with the Clevenger trade, unfortunately. And again, when it happened, everyone was like, oh, my God, we did it. We're just going to be like all these other guys. And it's like, yeah, it's going to end up not a happy ending like the other guys, unfortunately. Well, I mean, out of those deals, we all agree they were great deals. Um, but the Rosenthal one is a no brainer, right? That's a that's a great. Oh, one. yeah, yeah. 
Um, I gotta say and- about this, no matter what happens with whether we re-sign Rosenthal and whether Clevenger ends up working out in the long run, because there was I saw something where the Indians were trying to trade him earlier because they knew about like the arm injuries with him apparently. So that might be a little bit of a red flag, but no matter what happens, you got to give not only AJ Preller credit because he didn't give up Gore, didn't give up Patino. He did give up Trammell, but I mean, that's going to hurt, but we got outfielders, you know, we thought Trammell was the center fielder of the future and Grisham's played great. So not only obviously credit Preller, but you got to credit Padre ownership big time because Mike Clevenger is going to make a very significant number in arbitration these next two years. Mm-hmm. And we're not a big market team and everybody lost money this year. Cause you know, they couldn't, there were no fans in the stands, you know, they, you know, no parking, hot dogs, beer, sodas, all that. That's all. That was all gone this year. And teams are losing money all over the place because of it. And you got other um, people making excuses. Like the Cubs are already saying like, Oh, um, making BS excuses. Like the Cubs are like, oh, well, there might be limited capacity at Wrigley next year, which you can just tell is just such an excuse not to spend money. Because long before the first confirmed case in the United States, let alone the pandemic happening, the Cubs were already talking about trading guys and so save money. And it's just you can tell it's an excuse because they part of their reasoning was, well, we're talking to city officials and all that, and that's what they think is going to happen. Why didn't the white? If that was true, why didn't the White Sox say the same thing? They play in the same city, right? <laughs> right, right. And another thing about that that's you got to think about too is opening day next year is April first, and Philadelphia they got a Democratic mayor, and they got the Philadelphia area is full of all these doctors that are have like the most extreme timelines like including the guy who said like who said in april pretty much we had to be on lockdown till september of 2021 all of those kind of people are all in the philly area their event ban is only through february their big event bans only through february and opening days april 1st and speaking of mm-hmm. philadelphia that's another team that's using the excuse of the pandemic to not improve their team. Matt Klintak is a horrible GM and they're talking about not firing him. Cause it's like, Oh, well we'd have to still pay him and pay another GM. And we lost all this money this year. And it's like, you got those two big market teams using the no fans, you know, the money we lost this year. And even the Cubs with that BS about next year, as an excuse not to spend money, Chicago and Philadelphia are huge markets and they That's got right. their ownerships making these excuses and you got our ownership here in San Diego. They're like, yeah, we lost money this year. And they acknowledge it. They took on Clevenger and he's going to make, you know, 10 million plus in arbitration the next two years. So hats off Ron Fowler and Peter Seidler. You got to give them credit. They want to win and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Well done, fellas. I mean, how, how long has it been in San Diego where we've had ownership in any sport that wants to win as badly as Fowler and Seidler. Ray Kroc. Yeah. And you probably have to go back that far. And when he died, like, was it in 83? I think it was the year before we went to the world, year we went to the world series. Okay. But I think his, um, his wife ran the team for a couple of years after before they sold it. Right. So, you know, Hey, we're doing the live stream and it's on Facebook and YouTube. We're taking questions from people in the audience and uh, Brandon Tran is, is, is a question for you, David. And he says, um, any chance Lauer, Eric Lauer gets the call up to play against the Dodgers, especially with the Corbin Barnes injury. What do you think? 
No, I mean, I know we love to say Eric Lauer, Dodger killer, because of what he did here in San Diego, but he was terrible this year, and he's been down at the alternate site for a long time, and there's just no way Milwaukee would throw him into the playoffs in L.A. No, no way. They sent him down to the alternate site a long time ago. No chance. Right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, think about the Padres. What kind of decisions do you think they need to make to, for their postseason roster? Are there some guys that you think are going to be left at USD? And won't make the playoffs. I mean, you might have you you might keep some of your worst relievers at USD. You know, I wouldn't put Perdomo there. I don't know if I'd put Morihone there. He's just too inconsistent. You don't know which Morihone you're going to get, and you can't afford that in a postseason. You can't afford to not know, and especially in a short series, you can't afford to not know what guy you're getting. Right. And Morihone's just way too inconsistent. Love the potential long-term. think he should be given a shot at the back of the rotation next year. But for right now in this postseason, especially in a three-game series, you just can't count on him. Yeah, you know, even in short – well, in short bursts, he wasn't good when he had to fill in for Clevenger that day. Um, was it Clevenger he came in? Yeah, it was when yeah, he came in the second. Uh, the Angels. Yeah, so there's going to be – I don't know. There, yeah, some guys that, against the Giants, so – or yesterday against the Giants, so – he was great, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's some guys there at the back of the bullpen, you know, Alta Villa, um, Austin Adams. Um, you kind of wonder, will there be enough space on the, on, the, on the playoff roster for all those guys? Well, I'd keep Adams over Alta Villa, Villa for sure. Mm-hmm. Austin Adams is actually good. He was just didn't, couldn't pitch until recently because of the knee injury mm-hmm. that he suffered last year in Seattle. Said that Lauer in two days. I guess I didn't even know he came back up. Honestly, <laughs> that really worked. For the you know, another AJ Pro. You there? I'm. I'm here. Okay. Let's uh, let's uh, take Cardinals if we could. When we talk, about, you know, you know, two. Thing about St. Louis to me is obviously you got to worry about Goldschmidt, but they didn't really have anybody who hit at all really this year besides him. DeYoung didn't have that good of a year. They really missed Marcelo Zuna, and I did not think that Marcelo Zuna would do as good as he did, and I did not think his replacements would be as bad as they were. Tyler O'Neill was pretty terrible. And Bader, you know, he's not much of a hitter. Wong can field, but he's not much of a hitter. Molina's done as a hitter. It's Edmund didn't do as good as last year. They don't really have a, that good of a lineup, but, I mean, it's a three-game series. You know, they have guys who are capable of getting hot. You know, Goldie, obviously, Matt Carpenter can get hot over a couple games. DeYoung can get hot over a couple games. Wong can even have a good game in there. Dexter Fowler might even have a good game or two. So they got guys you got to worry about in a short series, even though overall they just didn't hit this year. Right. And and then you figure that Wainwright, or excuse me, um, Flaherty wasn't nearly as good as last year. On paper, it looks like a huge advantage for the Padres. But, yeah, in a, in a short series, anything can happen. Someone can get hot. Flaherty has, you know, he goes eight shutout innings, and then it's trouble. Yeah, I mean, and on paper, we can say on paper all we want. Look at 2006 when we played these guys. They backed into the playoffs. If if Pools didn't hit that three-run homer off Clay Meredith against us in St. Louis in the last week of the regular season, 
they wouldn't have made it in or they would have had to play the makeup game against San Francisco. And if they lost that, they would have had to play the tiebreaker against Houston and all that. So they pretty much got lucky to get in. They backed in and then they beat us, went on to win the World Series. So on paper, (laughs) really does not mean anything. Right. Yeah, you're right. And again, there is a San Diego sports curse again that zinged us there in 06. Um, Brandon Tran chimes in a few more. He says, nobody in NL Central is hitting overall except Goldie. Padres Padres struggling against uh, lefties as well. Yeah, um, Goldie, you know, he was obviously the best. But, I mean, the Cubs had some guys in short spurts, you know. But overall, Brandon's right. I mean, Goldie was the by far the most consistent hitter in that division. Like, all those big sluggers on the Reds were hot and cold. I mean, but that's a dangerous team in Cincinnati in the postseason. Oh, yeah. I think they're going to beat Atlanta with those starting pitchers in a short series. I mean, Atlanta doesn't really have any starting pitching after Freed with Soroka out. So, I would – I like Cincinnati's chances for the upset against Atlanta. Yeah, that'll be something. I mean, um, well, who are the, the, the pitchers for the Reds? It's Lauer – uh, not Lauer, uh, Bauer. Yes. And then the and then the pitcher was at Castillo that we almost got in that deal. Yeah. That Luis Castillo. Yeah, can you imagine if we had him? Oh my god! Oh my god! Our rotation would be better. Yeah, that was Colin Ray. Um, was the one that had the, the arm trouble. Whatever happened to him? Uh, he was with the Cubs earlier this year. I'm not sure if he still is, but he was definitely with Chicago earlier this year. I don't think he is anymore because I haven't heard from him in a while. But he wasn't going to make an impact for him, like in the postseason or anything. Right, exactly. So, and then who's the third big pitcher for the Reds? Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray. Okay, so he's had kind of a bit of a rebound then, huh? Oh, big time since going to Cincinnati. Yeah. Which is funny about Sonny Gray because that was a concern of mine was what happened to him in New York with Larry Rothschild, which was a concern of mine when we hired Larry Rothschild. But, you know, with Lamette and Clevenger, if they're healthy, that's not really a worry. And I don't blame um, Rothschild for what's going on with Chris Paddock this year. That's on Chris Paddock. I mean, not only is he too predictable, I mean, he's also kind of pissing me off with the way he's, like, reading what people are saying about him on social media and kind of getting cocky with the media and arrogant. It's like, dude, you're not yeah. pitching well. Just tune that out and figure it out, man. Well, he, he did figure it out, and then he let it slip away again. Do you think he was tipping off his pitches? Was that what was going on? I just think that, you know, good teams or even teams that just see him enough are going to know what's coming. Mm. Yeah, they're they're always looking for that high fastball, especially on strike one. Yeah. So you see a lot of guys swing first. Um, Alex Burbage on the live stream chiming in. He says, watch out for the huge bat of Tim Hill, though. Yeah, I got the Royals fan in here. He was actually just telling me before we came on um, that Hill had a bat for them for the Royals in Cincinnati a couple of years ago. I mean, he didn't swing the bat for us on right. that on Sunday that he had to take because, you know, we had to forfeit our DH because, you know, we lost um, Castro. He got hit in the jaw on the foul ball. But I, I think he was told not to swing just because, you know, with the starting oh. pitcher, we like, we got to have all our relievers because we don't know what's going on with our starting pitching. So don't swing the bat. Don't risk anything. Yeah, that was pretty obvious. I remember seeing that, A.B. And then now- to try and bunt with a runner on. Yeah, yeah. So they were just like taking no chances at all. None. And then Alex also says that, yeah, Colin Ray was sent to the alternate site. So I guess he must be in the Cubs roster. Um, 
And then Brandon Tran just said, are you going to the drive-in watch party at the Lexus lot? I am not. Park? I am not. So those tickets are, I heard, are expensive, aren't they? Yeah, it's like, why would you do that? I mean, I'm just going to watch it at home, you know. But how, well, they can't, they're only going to do the, well, hold on a second. Wednesday's game is at 2 o'clock, right? Yes. So they, they can't do a drive-in theater in, in during the afternoon, can they? No. So I, it must be- I don't know how that's going to work. I haven't really paid attention to it, honestly, because I just have no interest in doing it because, you know, that's pretty pricey, you know, when I could just stay at home and watch it. Yeah. Well, it's a fun idea. I mean, there's like the drive-in theaters are making a bit of a comeback in the COVID era. So it's cool that they're innovating and trying new things. But, yeah, I'll be just watching it from home. I mean, I don't know why you pay all that money when, you know, you have to stay in the car unless you, like – get up to get food or get a drink or something. It's like, and you got, and you're going to pay all that for that. No, I just rather stay home. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Well, Brandon said it's sold out. Yeah. Wow. So anyways, I just want to cap this off. Um, this part here by saying, you know, the teams, you know, had a great season, no matter what happens in the playoffs. Like, I don't think we're going to get past the Dodgers regardless. They just look too good to me. I think it might finally be their year. They just look too good to me. Like, like you said, they would be on pace for over 110 wins over a full season. Right. And that's a lot. That's really good. And this might finally be their year. And I didn't think we were going to get past them regardless of the health of our pitchers. But, you know, it's been a great season. They're set up super well for 2021 and beyond. I mean, you got all these guys coming back except um, Trevor Rosenthal. But you can re-sign Rosenthal. I mean, this is as great as he's been for us in Kansas City this year. I mean, he'd been bad. He was bad last year, hurt the year before. And so – He's had like one good season out of the last three, although he does look like the old 2015 St. Louis Rosenthal. So he's not going to be that pricey. So you can sign him back with the money that's coming off the books. You know, you got Kirby coming off the books. Um, mm. Hector Olivares finally coming off the books. Hector Olivar, all right, right on, good. On to get rid of Kemp. Yeah, he's finally coming off the books. So you can, you can resign Rosenthal, and that's the only guy that you can – that you haven't resigned. You, I mean, Moreland's been bad, so you can just, you know, decline his option, save two and a half million. So you can bring Rosenthal back. That's the only guy that's not uh, that you've got that's not under contract for next year. And pretty much everybody's under contract for next year except Jerkson Profar. And uh, I can't believe he's done as well as he has because I was really down on him in the beginning, but he really has turned around. Credit to him. And going 2022, you have everybody except Tommy Pham, who's going to be 33 by then, and he doesn't look the same that he did in Tampa Bay anyway. So, and you got more guys coming up. Like I was just saying to um, my mom last week when we were driving past Lake Elsinore, I'm like, the Storm are going to have some really good players down there next year, and this is just the beginning. We're going to keep pulling guys up, and waves of talent are finally coming. Right? Is yeah, that what they said? This is just the beginning. As exciting as this season was. This is just the beginning. So Alex Burbage says, nah, fam, we need Rosenthal back. <laughs> Kansas City native coming home again. Yeah, we got the big Royals and Chiefs fan in here. But I'll, I'll say this, like since Rosenthal has been here, he's been really having a lot of fun engaging with the Padres fans on Twitter. And they've been helping him find like really good Mexican food. And it's, <laughs> I've it's seen cool. that. Awesome. He yeah. loves here. He if, he if he would come back, yeah, for sure. I, I think he would. Um, 
And then Brandon says, if the Cardinals beat us, which I hope that doesn't happen, Kershaw is 0 for 4 versus the Cardinals in the postseason. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, he's pitched bad in some of those games, but some of those games, he's two of those games he's pitched well, the Dodgers just didn't score. So, but he is 0 4. I mean, I, but I, like I said, I just think this is finally the Dodgers here. I mean, they got cheated in 17 by the Astros banging trash cans. They mm-hmm. fell short a couple other years, but it just feels like their year this year. They won a million games in a short season. Cody Bellinger wasn't even himself a lot of the year. He's starting to heat up a little, so Dodgers look pretty dangerous. I mean, we don't like them, but they look dangerous. we got to be honest about that. So, you know, obviously in 17, the Astros cheated against the Dodgers, but some people think that the Red Sox might have cheated in 2018. Because- I do See that manager, right? Stated that, and it wasn't. It wasn't really what anything near the degree of the Astros, and they didn't do it in the playoffs. So it wasn't. That wasn't a big deal. <laughs> Plus, the Dodgers yeah. deserved to lose that because they kept bringing in Ryan Madsen. <laughs> well, the Dodgers haven't won since Oral Hershiser in 1988, right? Yeah, Kirk Gibson um, hit the home run off Eckersley in game one, limped around the bases. Yeah, and that, that team, that was like a bag of misfits, I remember. Um, but they had a great run. So it's it's interesting that they have gone so darn long without a championship. And I remember in the 90s, the Dodgers were just loaded with money but spent it so terribly. Um, and they didn't really kind of get their act together until, what, the late 2000s. Early 2010s, even like all those up until, you know, they signed Granky and traded for Hanley Ramirez. They were just throwing money at bums like with Ned Cluddy, like they overpaid Ted Lilly. They overpaid Juan Pierre on the back end of his career. Um, who's another guy um, that they overpaid? They gave Matt a lot Kemp. of money to. Yeah, Matt Kemp. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but 2013, you know, that's when they started getting, you know, Granky, Ryu, and they actually started spending wisely. And that's when they really started going on this run they've been on. Like, 90s and 2000s, they just threw money at bums. Well, Daryl Strawberry is one of them, if I remember. Jason Schmidt was another. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, they finally got it together. But it's been so darn long since they've won a championship. Have you ever seen that video clip when um, the the Padres last year are playing at Dodger Stadium and Manny Machado's on the on-deck circle? Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you one thing, L.A., this is your last chance. If you don't win it this year, Manny's going to be right because this is just the beginning and we are coming. We got Ryan Weathers, C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore. Patino's going to end up in the rotation. This is just the beginning, L.A. If you don't win it this year, that's it. We're coming. So you better win it this year, Dodgers, because we are coming. Okay, careful now. When you say we are coming, you know who you're channeling, right? That's Andy Green. Uh, okay, no, uh, but he was remember because when he was like saying, you know, it's not our year this year, but you you count on it. We're coming, um, you know, as our talent starts coming up. Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. It's coming, and it was held back by him. <laughs> Andy, He's the reason it's taking this long. So Andy Green's in the playoffs this year, though. That guy has to go down as one of the that guy has to end up going down as one of the worst managers in major league history. I mean, look how much better Will Myers is. Manny Machado yeah. looks like he did in Baltimore. Eric Hosmer looks like he did in Kansas City. 
everybody plays harder. The team culture is a hundred times better. I mean, nobody's quitting on this manager. I mean, he has to go down as one of the worst managers in major league history. Everybody did better and the culture completely changed once he was gone. Yeah. Um, Addition by subtraction, perhaps, right? Yeah, and it's just so much – it's so crazy to see how far we've come just in general. I mean, this team hit 95 homers in the 60-game season. You know how many t- home runs the 2011 team hit in a full season? Any guesses? Um, I, less than 100, right? 91. So the, 91. 2000, the 2020 Padres out-homered the 2011 Padres – in 102 less games. Let that sink in. Who was on the 2011 roster? Ryan Ludwig, Cameron Maven, Nick Hunley, Chase Headley. <laughs> uh, who else was on that team? Oh, God. Jason Bartlett, Brad Hopp, Orlando Hudson, Jorge Cantu. O-Dog. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, we've had a lot of teams that suck. Um, the backup catcher, Rob Johnson. Oh my God. <laughs> One of the biggest bombs. And look at us now. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And it was just so important that it was this year and this team that did it. that made it in playoffs and gave us something to cheer for. Cause did you see the, um, the article by, uh, Bryce Miller in the Union Tribune about Ted and Jesse and their radio work this year? Yeah, I did. Did you see what Ted said, how he felt this season and the success this year was the most important one of all because, you know, of all the people that have lost, you know, businesses, jobs, family members because of, you know, the pandemic. And like I said before in here, you know, sometimes I said this before, if you anybody who remembers the February 15th episode that that's the great thing about sports is we need it to be a a distraction for us sometimes. And that's what these Padres were. I mean, it's been tough for a lot of people, even if, you know, you haven't been affected by one of those things, just, you know, the stress, the anxiety, the depression that people have, you know, it's just, they needed something to be a distraction. These Padres were one heck of a distraction, man. I mean, they are so fun. They're so great to watch every night. Like I said, no matter what happens, it was perfect for this year. Just a great distraction to get our minds off everything wrong out there right now. You know, a lot of people saying the Padres are the funnest team in baseball, the most exciting team. And a lot of that's on Tatis. Do you, do you Darn think- your unwritten rules. And, and what? Darn your unwritten rules. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, throw those out the window. Um, but do you think Tatis is figured it out? Is he out? Is he going to climb out of his slump for the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, he had a couple home runs the last weekend in San Francisco. Looks like he's, you know, back in form. We're going to need him, you know, because, I mean, Myers in his playoff appearance with Tampa Bay against Boston, that ALDS in 2013, I believe he went one for 11. You know, Machado doesn't have the greatest postseason track record. So we're going to need him. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I just noticed if you, you kind of pick up on the body language with Tatis, and yeah, he's he played better this weekend, but you can tell that he's just kind of down. He doesn't have the same energy that he did in the beginning of the year. So hopefully we're going to see it, you know, a big spark when we get into the playoffs. Yeah, and if we don't have it, we're going nowhere. 
I mean, we might go nowhere anyways because, you know, it's a three-game series, and I talked about why St. Louis is a problem in a three-game series despite their less-than-impressive record. So we're going to need him big time. Well, Brandon Tran has a bunch of comments here that he's he's typed in. Um, Moreland is climbing out of his slump too. That's, I mean, that's good. It is good, but that's not going to help us on Wednesday against a left-handed pitcher. Right. And um, – <laughs> What is Obama's last name? This is from Thomas. So I don't know. He's somebody pulling our leg here. Uh, Brandon Tran said Green got booed by his own fans, too. So I guess oh, was that in Chicago? He was pretty not a popular manager at all. And why would he be? He stunk. Yeah, unbelievable. So, um, so how, how do you see the lineup um, that Tingler might craft for for Game One on Wednesday against a left-handed pitcher? How would you how would you set it up? I mean, that's another thing too. Is Grisham's been a big spark, but not against lefties, and that's part of the problem against left-handed pitchers. You know, he pretty much has to bomb the order because against lefties, those splits are extreme. Really? I mean, like, how can you? Do you have some numbers off the top of your head? I'm kind of curious. I don't off the top of my head, but I believe I saw something from a couple of weeks ago where he was hitting under 200 against lefties. Really? Wow. It's okay. Not good. So, who? How would you set up the uh, the, the roster then on uh, against a lefty? Who would be your DH? Um, how would you set up the lineup? See, that's tough. I mean. With Camp Camp getting hurt actually kind of hurts because you think you'd put um, Nola at DH, you know, and maybe catch uh, Camp Usano or DH Camp Usano, but he's hurt. I mean, after just the one game, and you're not going to play Castro lefty lefty because that's because yeah. he's been brutal kind of behind the play. You know, he hasn't been blocking pitches; they've been stealing bases on him, so he's not going to be in there for his defense, and you're not going to hit him lefty lefty. So. I don't know what they're going to do with DH, honestly, and it's a concern. I mean, you're going to put Profar there and Fam in left field, or DH Fam put Profar in left field. I don't know. See, I think that's what's going to happen. I think Profar will play left, and, and Fam will DH. And that's my prediction. Another thing too is, you know, Cronenworth and Hosmer are a big part of success this year, and that's part of the problem with us against lefties. They're both left-handed hitters. Hmm. So it's it's a problem going against Kim Game One. Yeah, it is. I, I didn't think of that. It's amazing, interesting that Cronenworth isn't a switch hitter, you know, as a right-handed uh, arm. You know, you think he could go both ways with the bat, but he's lefty only. Yeah, it's – I don't know. It's just – But if you wanted to go to an extreme, you could slide Profar to second base, but then – and then start Fam in left field, but then who would your DH be? Um Hosmer with Cornworth at first? See, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know how you do it. It's tough to figure out a good lineup to have against left handed pitcher with this team. That's the that's our Achilles heel is how do you put together a a good lineup against left handed pitcher? And credit to Mike Schilt, the manager over there in St. Louis. He knows he's going with the lefty game one and then Flaherty and Wainwright games two and three. I mean, it's a tough series, tough draw. Now, how how did the Padres do against Kershaw this year? Uh, well, we only faced him one time, and we got those runs because of the bad defense by Max Muncy and the home run by Grisham. But if Dave Roberts didn't take him out stupidly early like he did against 
when he had Onya and Mateo's number and he stupidly took him out with those guys coming up, we probably would have lost that game and got swept in that series. So, and Kershaw's always been good against us. So, if we get to LA, that's really hard too. I mean, you got Bueller and Kershaw right away. You still don't know about Lebet and Clevenger. I mean, it's just not going to be this year for the Padres. I mean, but like I said, you know, just get you, something to be a distraction for us. Like, well, we desperately needed it. You know, get take that next step towards the future. And we're set up so well that whatever happens this postseason happens. I mean, it's been a great season. Future's bright. You know, let's get to it next year, no matter what happens. But you know, obviously we'd like to see him go all the way, but. It's just kind of a tough draw against St. Louis, and Dodgers certainly aren't going to be easy next round. Well, what did you predict for the Padres uh, for the overall record for the season? I had 30 and 30, and they blew that expectation out of the water, so that's awesome. Yeah. And and just for fun, if, if they had actually finished 30 and 30, they probably wouldn't have been the number eight seed, right? Oh, uh, yeah, because Milwaukee is 29-31. Uh, yeah, so they still would have made the playoffs. And I think I remember you were saying, yeah, 500 and you know, don't really worry about 2020. It's really for 21 and beyond, but yeah, imagine just taking a significant step forward and and that's a that's a win in and of itself. Oh yeah. Got a comment from Alex here saying that um this year's Padres remind him of the 13 Royals. That's kind of a good comparison. Um in the sense that they didn't, the Royals would have made it though in 2013 if they had this format. Then, I'm pretty sure about that that the Royals would have made it in 2013 if they had this format in 2013. And then, obviously, we know what the Royals did in 14, 15 would have been consecutive championships if not for Madison Bumgarner. So, <laughs> I hope he's right. I mean, right, yeah. comparison. I was thinking more, you know, 15 Cubs, but could be 13 Royals too. Either way, it means a, cha- a championship could be on the horizon. So I'll take it. So Brandon actually put together a lineup there. Um, what are your thoughts on it? He's got Grisham leading off. That's what I do against right-handed pitchers. I do pretty much exactly that against a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, then Tatis, Machado, three, Hosmer, four, Cronenworth, five, Myers, six, Nola, seven, Fam eight, Profar, nine. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, against a right-handed pitcher, that makes sense. Against the lefty, yeah, where do you put Grisham? You put, That's where I, it think gets you put, I think you put Grisham at the bottom of that against the and put, move everybody else up one against the lefty. Yeah, and that's then that's what uh, Tingler's been doing, I think. So yeah, that seems like the plan. Yeah. Okay. So Alex, you guys were only three games out of a wild card spot. Twenty thirteen Royals. Um, weren't they second in the AL Central? No, they were third because Cleveland was the wild card that year, but. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's no way any other third-place team in um, baseball was better than 86 wins that year. So, yeah, I mean, that is a good comparison. I I never thought of it like comparing the 20 Padres to the 13 Royals. I've always thought more 15 Cubs. But, hey, 13 Royals, I was kind of thinking getting into the season maybe it could be a 13 Royals type year. But as we exceeded my expectations, I kind of thought more 15 Cubs. But it could still be 13 Royals. I like that comparison. So, so refresh my memory again. The thirteen Royals did they make the playoffs? They did not, but they won eighty six games. They finished like Alex was saying, three games out of the wild card that year. Right. And, but if they had the current format, like I was saying, they would have been in that year. And then right. we know what happened in twenty fourteen and fifteen with Kansas City. But and they had a long playoff drought then, so I can see the similarities a bit. 
And then the 2015 Cubs, what were they that year? That was the team that, because 2012 was when Epstein came to Chicago and they started the big tear down. It was like 12, 13, 14. We're just going to tear everything down, evaluate our talent, bring these young guys in. And then 15, they took a big step. They went from, I think they finished 71 and 91 in 2014, which was a big upgrade from their 100 losses in 12 and 13. And then 14 to 15, they had that big jump from 70, which is what the 2019 Padres were, to 97 in 2015, which is about where the 2020 Padres would have been over 162. So, And then how far did the Cubs advance in the playoffs that year? They beat Pittsburgh in the wildcard game, beat St. Louis in four in the division series, got swept by the Mets in the NLCS. And Alex here knows what the Mets did in the World Series very well, being a Kansas City guy. (laughs) You know, it's interesting is um, I remember when I was uh, a youngster and I started following baseball in the mid-70s and – in the mid to late seventies, the Royals had a really good team and they had, you know, Freddie Patek and, and of course, George Brett. And, um, who was the, uh, the was, was Shambliss, I think played first base for them. And then later went to the Yankees. Um, that was a good team. And they had some really cool, like powder blue uniforms in the late seventies. So they just kept losing to the Yankees in the ALCS. Yeah. They always faced the Yankees and they always came up short. And then, was it they finally got to the World Series against the Cardinals in 85 and I think the Cardinals won it that no the Royals won it the Royals won it that year okay um so yeah I just I don't know I've always had a soft spot in my in my head for the for the Royals um just because I had good memories from the late 70s well I kind of had a a little bit of a soft spot for them in 15 because you know we were because you know they were everybody's darling when they made that run in 2014 and then we here in San Diego were rooting hard for them against San Francisco because they're a rival of ours. So Mm -hmm. we kind of developed a little soft spot for those 14 Royals going into 15 when they had their run. Although a lot of people actually didn't like the 15 Royals because, you know, they had a couple benches clearing incidents. But, hey, who cares if people like you when you win the World Series? That's kind of like us with this unwritten rules crap. Although a lot of people were on our side of that one. So let's let's go back to the Padres for a second. So – you know, we, we don't know everything. We don't know what's the Lamette and Clevenger and exactly what's going to happen. But if you're in Vegas betting money, who's your game one starter? Who do you think it's going to be? I'm going to say Davies just because they, you know, he threw only 50 whatever pitches on Saturday. So he can go three days rest on Wednesday if we need him to. I just don't see a situation where you throw a bullpen Tuesday and then 100 pitches in the game on Wednesday. I just don't – it seems unlikely either guy will be ready for game one, and Davies has been the best besides those two. So you got to go Davies game one. And so, interesting. So, Lamette is also going to do a bullpen tomorrow on Tuesday. Wow. Yeah, you're right. If you do a bullpen, you can't start the next day. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, and Davies against Kim, you know – it's kind of dicey, you know, kind of a toss up. And like I was saying, game one is going to be so huge in the series because, you know, St. Louis, I don't think they can win two straight against us, but winning two straight against, for us, winning two straight against uh, Flaherty and Wainwright, I don't like our odds of doing that. So game one is huge. Yeah. More series than any of the other seven series. Game one is critical, most critical in this series. 
Right. And then, and- you look at Atlanta and Cincinnati. I mean, well, Atlanta really has to win game one because they're not going to win two straight, you know, against Gray and Castillo if they can't win with Freed because they're totally a mismatch starting pitching wise against uh, Gray and Freed. So Atlanta really has to win game one against Cincinnati, but Cincinnati can afford to lose game one and have those two games, two and three. So game one of our series with St. Louis is the most crucial for both teams of the entire, um, all, all eight series, that game one is the most important for both teams. Wow. So you like the Dodgers. You think it's their year. So obviously the Dodgers make the NL championship series, according to your, your prediction. Who do you think they face in the uh, championship in the NLCS? I'm going to go Cincinnati, and I think Cincinnati has a little bit of – I don't think they're going to go all the way, but I think Cincinnati has a bit of 2019 Washington in them because, I mean, obviously what they have isn't Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, but it's plenty good enough in a three-game series. And who and if they get past Atlanta, which I think they will, you're either going to get Chicago or Miami, and I don't think Miami has any business being here in a normal season. And Chicago kind of limped in down the stretch and – they ain't surprising Cincinnati. They see them all the time. They know what they got. So, and so I think Cincinnati is going to get to the NLCS against the Dodgers and lose. So I think it's Dodgers over Cincinnati in the NLCS. And then I think it's going to be Minnesota over Tampa Bay is my bold pick in the AL. And then I think uh, Dodgers in over Minnesota in five in the world series. Wow. Did did the the Twins play the Dodgers in the World Series in the sixties? Um, I believe so. I think it was sixty three, maybe something like that. Yeah, I think sixty two was the San Francisco Giants and the Yankees. So well, maybe five feet higher when he. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the one, you know, that's before my time and you know that. So that's, that's way before your time. Um, Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that was like the Tony Oliva era for the twins. And I think that's when, gosh, was one of those Sandy Koufax games. Was that against the twins too? I don't know. Well, that was when the twins, you know, had first come to Minnesota from being the original Washington senators. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe a Twins-Dodgers World Series. I mean, I'd be obviously rooting for the Twins in that. But um, I mean, you, you got know. Minneapolis is almost as tortured as us. <laughs> I mean, how many times have the Vikings lost the NFC Championship in just the most excruciating ways or, or if they don't get blown out? <laughs> well, and the Vikings have also, I think, lost three or four Super Bowls. Yeah, they've lost at least three. I think it's four. I mean – they lost to they lost Super Bowl four to Kansas City. They lost I think they lost the Super Bowl to the Steelers. And and to the Raiders. Yes, they did. What year did they lose to the Raiders? That was the Raiders first one in Oakland, correct? In the Super Bowl ten, I think. Yeah, so in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. And then I know they lost one to the Steelers in the seventies too. Yeah. So, so- but then, but still, the Twins won the World Series in '91, right? With Kirby Puckett. Yes, the Twins have two World Series, but that, those were '87, '91. That's a long time ago, and 
Minneapolis has had plenty of torture moments themselves. I mean, the, they lose the North Stars to Dallas, and then they go win, win a Stanley Cup a few years later. I mean, how many NBA titles have the Lakers won since moving to L.A. from Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. The Vikings just lose in the most excruciating ways. Gary Anderson doesn't miss all year. He misses to, when it would have put him up 10. They lose to the Falcons in overtime at the Metrodome in the 98 NFC Championship. Favre throws the stupid interception across his body in the 09 NFC Championship game in New Orleans. You know, Minneapolis is – they can't beat the Yankees in a series no matter what they do. Right. Minneapolis is all, almost as tortured as San Diego, as hard as that is to believe. And the Golden Gophers aren't so good either. So they're always on the bottom half of the Big Ten. They've been good lately, but even last year, like they had a chance against Wisconsin. They won. They would have think they would have won the West and had a chance to play Ohio State and go to the Rose Bowl if they won that. And then they got blown out by Wisconsin at home, you know, in the last week of the season. It's just Minneapolis is pretty tortured too. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it. They are. So that makes sense. Um, yeah, Alex here thinks the Dodgers and the Rays in the World Series book it. That, that, this is a two number one seeds. That's a pretty easy prediction right there. Yeah, I mean, that's a little lazy. I mean, <laughs> Alex, I love you, bro, but that's a bit of a lazy pick, man. That's just the two right. number one seeds. <laughs> well, one of the the guys, was it from the MLB Network, had the uh, Padres winning the whole thing. I didn't so, see that. I saw that – Um. Mad Dog Russo had us, and I can't stand him, but I thought he had a pretty good bracket. Um, he had us uh, beating St. Louis and losing to the Dodgers, which I think mm-hmm. is the best case scenario. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know that's what I think most people are probably expecting. That's what their brain is telling them, but their heart obviously wants them to go all the way. Um, yeah, if Lamette and Clevenger are are able to pitch, I really like our chances, but we just don't know. It's it's such an unknown. Padres White, Padres White Sox would be a fun World Series, but I mean, I just just two young teams that just don't have that experience, and the White Sox really are limping into the postseason. I don't even think they're going to beat the A's. It was it Luis Robert has really declined, right? He's in a horrible slump. Yeah, I mean, their whole team just – they've lost 8 of 10 going into the postseason. They're limping in. Now they got to go to the West Coast and play the A's who, you know, have some really good – who have Luzardo and Chris Bassett's been good and down the stretch for them. they got a really good bullpen. So I think the White Sox are in trouble against um, Oakland. But the White so- Padres White Sox World Series in, fu- in a future year, I could definitely see that because those two teams might be the future of baseball. You know, you know, it's funny how they when the when the Padres play the Mariners, it, you know, they have, a, they have the Vetter Cup, right? Um, you know, for commemorating Eddie Vetter, who lived in San Diego and Seattle. If the Padres played the White Sox, they could have the James Shield Cup, right? <laughs> right? They could rename the World Series trophy. Yeah, thanks for James Shields. Thanks for Fernando Tatis Jr., guys. Got two and a half years of a wash James Shields. Thanks. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, all good. I mean, so it, it, it's very interesting, you know, how this is going to play out because unlike other baseball playoffs, there are no off days. So it's, what, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, right? 
Yeah, and that's another concern for me. If if we get past St. Louis, that's another concern for me against the Dodgers is you have to have four starters. And from what we saw from Chris Paddock this year, and he wasn't even good against – last year he wasn't even good against, you know, the playoff teams, the big teams. So I just don't think we have a reliable four starter. And, you know, we look at L.A., obviously Bueller and Kershaw and Dustin May, but Tony Gonsolin's been pretty good too. So yeah. and we don't have a four starter really, so – you, and you have to have four starters without the off day, so that's another concern for me this year. So the second round is best of five, but it would be five consecutive days? Correct. Wow. So how much? So would it start, like, would it be a one-day break in between the first and second round? It's a couple of days because, you know, they got to get teams into the bubble setting and for the AL down here and in LA and for the NL in Arlington and Houston. So they got to get a couple of days to get teams into the bubble setting. I believe Monday is when the division series starts. Interesting. Hey, it's going to be fun watching some AL playoffs at Petco, right? Yeah. But you know, what's going to be even better is uh, this time next year when 45,000 people are screaming their asses off at Petco for game one of the division series. How about that? That would be sweet. I'm looking forward to that. It's hopefully we don't get a curveball with COVID. Um, yeah. I mean, did you see San Diego County today? Only 2% positive, less than 200 cases. Wow. That's a huge decline. And nationwide, um, it was only less than 37,000 cases on over a million tests nationwide. So Turning the corner, maybe? Yeah. I mean, and I said this. I don't know if you saw me say this on Facebook, but I was like, you know, last week we saw the cases go up, but the positive test percentage was down. But when that trend happens, usually the cases follow downward. And so far, so good. Only one day to the new week. But hopefully it keeps just keep praying, man. Yeah, keep praying. Um, hopefully we can get back to normalcy. Um, I'm pretty confident about that um, happening sooner than people are saying. So I'm not going to get into all that again, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I feel confident about that. Well, not, I wouldn't say confident because you can never be confident with this kind of thing, but I'm optimistic. I'm pretty optimistic. I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, this is a totally off topic question, but you know, obviously we're, we're going into the NBA finals here pretty quick, right? Yeah. And- yeah. It's going to be what Miami and the Lakers, right? Yes. Um, and by the way, that hero kid for Miami had a hell of a game a couple of nights ago. Oh, I know. That's another thing that's about COVID. I mean, but he, he goes back to his hotel room after that game. No, it, he does that no COVID. You know, how many chicks is he getting on South Beach after the game? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the question I have, though, is it normally the NBA starts in mid October, right? Yes, correct. So what are the plans to start the next season for the NBA? When do they hope to do that? Adam Silver was recently saying January at the earliest, not only because, you know, you got to get guys time to rest and recover, you know, but Adam Silver's like, we want to get fans back in arenas. And, you know, you know, obviously that's indoors. So you got to wait a little longer than you would for outdoors. So they're going to push it. They're going to stall on that. I think it's going to be February. But then they're still often going to have to play a shortened season, right? I, I don't know what they're going to do for season length next year, if they're going to do because reset the entire league calendar permanently. I just don't know. It's 
it's it, I, I don't I have no idea what's going to happen like how many games they're going to play in 2021 and what's going to happen with 21 and 20 21 22 22 23 and beyond it is I have no clue what's going to happen but it's going to be very interesting to see what the long-term NBA calendar is yeah I'm I'm very curious hey, I'm Brandon curious. Brandon Tran saying the NBA draft is in October. I think we're all looking forward to that to see where Malachi Flynn lands. Oh, I'm, I was telling another thing I was saying to my mom is that, you know, when all this is over, like we got to see Malachi, whatever team he gets drafted on, we got to go up to LA and see him play against the Clippers, you know, see Malachi and Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be something. Definitely going to do that. Do you see how doc rivers got fired today? Yeah. I mean, he keeps choking. I mean, they, they had to do it. He, he kept choking. They had yeah. him. They were never going to win the finals with him, and they're only going to have Kawhi for so long. So they had to get rid of him. You know, Doc Rivers just seems to me to be a first class guy. It's just it's a shame that it just didn't work out for him. I mean, the Doc Rivers is just an overrated coach because you know he's he won that one one title in Boston with that big three, and he he blows leads like all these other times. Blew a three two lead in the twenty ten finals against the Lakers. Blew a three two lead in the twelve Eastern Conference finals against LeBron and the Heat. He's blown two three one leads in the Western Conference second round with the Clippers. I mean, he's just an overrated coach. Interesting, yeah. So now I, I saw people you know tweeting that maybe Phil Jackson should come back and coach the Clippers. No, I mean, he's too old, I think. But, I mean, I think it's going to work out for the Clippers, though, because you look at all these other teams, you know, that just couldn't get over the hump. They fire the coach and they win it all. Like, Cleveland did. Like, um, Golden State did. They got rid of uh, Mark Jackson for Steve Kerr, and then they started their run. Cleveland got rid of David Blatt for uh, Ty Lue, and they won the championship. Toronto got rid of Dwayne Casey for Nick Nurse, and they won it all. So, Sometimes you just have to, you know, make that change to, you know, get over the hump. Yeah, like the Padres fired Andy Green to hire Jace Tingler, right? Well, that was a little different because we, <laughs> we were just struggling to get anywhere. So I'm talking about teams that, you know, were there and couldn't – that were there in the playoffs and expected to get to that point. They didn't do it. They So they get a new coach to get them from, you know, there but not – almost there but not quite to get them over that hump. And – like I said, Toronto uh, did this recently, as did Golden State and Cleveland. Cleveland did it in season. So you sometimes you have to get rid of that coach, even though you have the regular season success, to get over that hump and get a championship. So the Clippers had to do that. Yeah. Here, here's a Brandon has, by the way, had a bunch of comments, but I want to jump to Yuri Bolin. And Yuri is uh, – a good guy here in Poway. He was a guest on the podcast when he was a candidate for the mayor here in Poway. And he said, Hey, John and David, the Padres had a great season. I think they might surprise a lot of people in the playoffs. My only complaint was they won the last game of the season and kept my giants out. And, you know, it's interesting is I was born in San Francisco, raised a giants fan. I converted to the Padres in around 1990 And now the Padres are my number one. The Giants are my number two. But I remember that last game of the season, you know, on Sunday, I was actually rooting for the Giants and it felt weird uh, because I was hoping that they were going to sneak in. So, Yuri, I'm with you on that. Uh, It just didn't work out. Yeah. And the home plate and Rob Drake, the home plate umpire, did not help the cause. He was was brutal. brutal. All these umpires. It seems like this year the umpiring's even been worse, believe it or not. 
Well, there were, I remember I saw at least four called third strikes that were nowhere near the plate. And that happens every game. I think part of the problem is you got guys like Tom Hallian, veteran umpires who opted out this year. So you point up these minor league fill-ins, but those veteran umpires are barely passable a lot of the time. Then you bring up these minor league fill-ins, they're even worse. They've got to go to robot umpires at some point, right? Especially for balls and strikes. Oh my God, they have to because the strike zone's brutal. Nobody knows what a ball is. Nobody knows what a strike is. Remember the thing in the NFL a couple years ago when nobody knew what a catch was? <laughs> yeah. in baseball now. Nobody knows what a strike is. Nobody knows what a ball is. Yeah, you, but you know what I've often thought about is like, let's say they had robot umpires, and you know how on TV they have that rectangle where the strike zone is, but someone would have to place that rectangle, right? Because it would vary in size depending on the person. Yeah, right? interesting to me. And then it would it would vary it would be have to be sized according to how a person was when they stood tall. They couldn't like scrunch down like Ricky Henderson and then have a tiny strike zone. So I've often wondered if there are robot umps, how do you define the the, the strike zone? I, don't I mean, know the answer to that. Even if it's not perfect, it would be a hundred times better than what we're seeing now. The umpiring in baseball is so brutal. Yeah. So brutal. Well, we'll see what we get in the playoffs. They're supposed to get the best umpires when you get to the postseason, right? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, you had a lot of the same. You had, like, your regional umpires this year because they were, you know, trying to limit travel and all that. But, I mean, obviously that doesn't matter, you know, after the wild card round once you're in the bubbles. You yeah, spend that, should be, that should be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking I'm, – the, the playoffs are going to be a lot of fun. I mean, there's going to be – Multiple games every day, uh, especially in the first round. It's going to be like almost like the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament, right? You know, those first couple of days when there's just so many games on at the same time. Yeah, and yeah, and the Dodgers against Milwaukee. That's like though. That's like Kansas against Cal Poly, basically. <laughs> yeah, that'll be uh, that 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 should be a, a two and done for sure. Yeah, um, if you're looking, if you're looking for like a Virginia UMBC, maybe that's Tampa Bay and Toronto in the in the AL. Maybe that's more like uh, Virginia and UMBC. Although I don't see how Toronto could be Tampa Bay. Right? Uh, yeah, like a one versus sixteen. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So are all the AL games tomorrow and all the NL games on Wednesday? Is that how they're doing it? So AL game ones are tomorrow. AL game two is all the AL game two are on Wednesday, the same day as the NL game one. If there's any game threes in the AL, they'll be on Thursday when the NL game twos are. And then if there's any NL game threes, they'll be Friday. Interesting. Okay. And then which teams are going to be playing at Petco in the first round? Um, It's AL teams. I think it would be <laughs> – Tampa Bay, the Tampa oh, Bay Toronto winner and the Cleveland Yankees winner are the two teams that would be in San Diego. I think I'm not 100% sure. Okay, so it's that half of the bracket. So that, that's going to be fun, I think, to see some AL teams in the playoffs at Echo. I'm looking forward to that. 
Now, here's Brandon still trying to work Lauer in. If Craig Council went went to risk Lauer versus L.A. to win after blowing game two and, and five in 2018. Um, yeah, so man, this is good. I, I'm looking forward to these playoffs. I think it's going to be great. Um, what do you think about the 16-team format? There's some rumors they might keep it. Oh, you know, I love it. I'm, I know a lot of people saying, ah, oh, this will make 162-game season pointless. But to me, the more teams in the playoffs, the better. It just, it's just it's more excitement. It's um, teams that have mediocre years can sneak in and then surprise people. So I, I have no well, objection. The I only think, thing, the only thing I I'd make a change, what, let me just shoot this in. The one thing that I might change is I might, give the number one C to buy in the first round. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm good with it. Here's how I would, here's my thing about it. At first I was like, heck no, they got to go back to the 10 teams or make it 12 teams. But here's, I'm okay with the 16 teams long-term on one condition that obviously you can't do it this year. Cause you know, you're just trying to get through the season this year. But if you're going to keep this format next year and beyond, you got to make the first round best of five. I don't even care if it takes the season to fricking Thanksgiving. You got to make the wild card series best of five. I mean, you can't have a situation where you can win 110 games in over 162 and then lose, be done in the, because you lost two or three to an 83 win team. That just can't happen. So if they're going to keep the 16 team format, they got to make the wild card series best of five. Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you there too. But it, it seems. It seemed it like add, they – well, go ahead. I'm sorry. It would add, you know, two travel days and two game days. It would, it would add four days to the season, but it's but that would be worth it to make it a more legit champion. Well, you know, it's interesting too because I, I think they were driven to get the World Series done by the end of October. Um, and I don't know if it was the psychological thing, you know, you don't want baseball going into November – or if it was to avoid conflicts with the NFL. But I think that was a motivation, and I, that might be the reason that there's only three games in the first round this time. Well, another thing, too, is, I mean, you got different – you can have what – I mean, you can have whatever opinion you want of the guy, but, I mean, they couldn't push it any further than they were because the way they're doing it, it's going to – a game seven is October 28th, and – you know, they're listening to people like Fauci, and Fauci was saying the, the World Series had to be done by September, which just was never going to happen. But so they got to get it. They got to get it done and over with, which is why I think you see the no off days in the first until the World Series in the middle of the series, because they just got to get it, get it, get it out of here, get it done, you know. And I think that's why they end up going to a bubble for the NL, for the division series and beyond. You know, it's going to be interesting, too, because now we're going to have neutral sites for the World Series and for the um the, the second and third round, but people have talked about that having um, a neutral site for a world series. What do you think about that? I mean, it, like I said, it's necessary for this year because you got to do everything you can to get through the season with no problems, but long-term that's just a terrible idea. Yeah. It, it was fun. I remember like they used to do the world series two and then two and then one, one, one. So there was a lot of travel and it was fun. Now they always do two, three, two to kind of minimize the travel. I, I think 2-3-2 uh, two, two is fine. But I was, I remember just as a kid, I mean, what, 
now I could be wrong here, but I remember watching the Reds Red Sox World Series. That's the one with the Carlton Fisk and you know the foul pole and the whole thing. Well, that was two three two. The was two in Boston, three in Cincinnati, two in Boston. It was. Jeez, how do you remember all this? So, um, well, obviously, well, that was easy because you know, obviously, Game Six was you know at Fenway because it was the, the famous Carlton Fisk walk off where he was like waving it fair, but yeah, and then. Obviously, Game Seven. You know that's part of the curse of the Bambino, where they're like, "Oh, the Red Sox lost all these Game Sevens at home." So yeah, that one was just easy. So when when did they do two two one one one? Uh that must have been way back in like the thirties and forties. Oh, did, so did they do that in the NBA playoffs then? NBA is weird because for the longest time in the NBA, it was two. two the the NBA has always done. Two two one 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 up until the finals always. For the longest time, they did two two one 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 in the finals too. Then in the two thousands or late nineties, they went to two three two for the finals. But in two thousand fourteen, they went back to two two one one one. So that's where my confusion is. See, see the the two two one 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 is fantastic. Um, I love that. But obviously that puts a lot of strain on the players and on the media. Um, okay, so I was getting the NBA and Major League Baseball mixed up. Yeah, I mean, I think what you might have been thinking of was when they did that, you know, when it was like Yankees and Giants and or Yankees and Dodgers back in the day when you didn't have, you know, really travel because it was all in New York City. That maybe went then. Okay, so like maybe in the 1950s, uh, before there were any teams on the West Coast. Yeah. I think uh, St. Louis might have been the furthest west of any of the teams back well, in the day. Well, the Athletics, when they went to Kansas City, were the furthest west. So here, here are two comments that have come in on the live stream, both about the designated hitter. Okay. Uh, Br- Brandon asks, any chance the DH is there next year in the NL? And then Yuri says... No DH in the National League. It ruins the game. Bring back the situational lefty out of the bullpen for one batter, the loogie. Um, no runner on second and extra innings. I agree with expanded playoffs, but keep it three division leaders and then five best records. What do you think about these rules? So what, do you, what are your thoughts there? All right. First of all, DH, whether you agree with it or not in the National League, it's here to stay. There's, I just don't see any way – teams are going to go back to having their pitchers hit after this year that for one two is you know the dh whether you like it or not it makes the game more exciting because it's you know a slugger instead of a pitcher hitting and baseball's gonna want you know to do anything to have their attendance be as high as possible next year and going forward to make up for you know the money they lost from not having fans this year you know, not just in 2021 to pump attendance up, but into the future. That's why the AL put the designated hitter in place in the first place, because all the NL teams had higher attendance than the AL. So I just don't see any way that you can have go back to pitchers hitting for those two reasons. And the third reason is it was always so weird how in the AL and NL had different rules to me, because in the NFL, you don't have, you know, a 12th guy on offense in the NFC <laughs> In the NBA, you don't have a six-player just sitting at the three-point line in the Eastern Conference, but on the Western Conference, you know, it just – it's so goofy that the two leagues had different rules that I just don't see 
how you can go back to having your pitchers hit. Um, well, plus the collective bargaining agreement. I think the players have been pushing for the DH and the NL for a long, long time. And you mean the CBA expires after 2021. So what would be the point of having your pitchers hit in 2021? And then the new CBA, they're going to want the DH. That would just be pointless to have pitchers hit for 2021. And then not for that, that'd just be stupid. Now the situational lefty for one batter. I agree with that. I hate the three batter rule. I think it's stupid. No runner on second extra innings. Now that we're into the playoffs, we're done with that. That was just a regular season thing. So games didn't go 15 innings, you know, in such a condensed schedule. So that's done with, thank God, that was such a stupid rule. The leadoff two-run homer, you know, a stolen base and a leadoff sacrifice fly. That was just so so stupid. And, you know, go ahead, please. And last thing, the expanded playoffs. I do like that because, you know, in the NBA, which has been doing eight teams for commerce for a while, I mean – it's theoretically possible to have five teams from one division. Not that anybody cares about divisions in the NBA. And then two in another division and only one in another division. I believe this happened in 2015 where the Pelicans were last in the Southwest. New Orleans Pelicans, they were last in the Southwest, but they were the eighth seed. So I do agree with I agree with all of that, except for the DH, because, you know, whether we like it or not, it's here to stay. But the rest of that, I definitely agree with. You know, speaking of the NBA, wasn't there a season when the Houston Rockets, this might be in the Moses Malone era, that they won the NBA championship, but their or their uh, regular season record was 500 or maybe even like a game below? Um, I can't remember. I have to go back and look that one up. It wasn't that. It was they didn't win. They got to the finals. They lost to Boston. Okay, that was the team. Okay. Yeah. That was like, what, 81 or something like that. You know what? Um, I think it might have been when they beat the then Kansas City Kings in the Western Conference Finals. I think when the Kings were in Kansas City, I think that's what it was. And the Kings were also under 500 or just above. And it was like really weird how like these mediocre teams were going at it for the Western Conference Championship. I actually remember looking this up a couple months ago. Was that Tiny Archibald? Wasn't he on the Kings back then? I can't remember. Mm. Way back. Um, I'm not as good with NBA history as I am MLB and NFL. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, so Yuri Boland says 80 or 81, uh, no, 80-81 season. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. I think it was a also mediocre Kansas City Kings team, and the Kings left Kansas City for Sacramento in 85. Um <laughs> The Kansas, if, if our Kansas City guy's still in here, maybe he'd know what we're talking about with that. But I don't know if he's still in here. But if he is, maybe he knows. Well, you know, the, the other comment, um, Yuri, you brought up the um, extra innings, the guy on second base. It, it's funny is I was first introduced to that um, by going to girls softball tournaments. And that was a common thing that they did for extra innings. And they called it the international tiebreaker. And Back again with girls softball, you know, the strategy always was the first batter would bunt and move the runner to third. And then the second batter would hopefully put the ball in play and score that run. And you would see that over and over and over again. It was almost a formula the way they would always have the first batter bunt. Um, But I noticed I was expecting more of that in baseball this year. And a lot of times they were just swinging away the first guy. So I, don't know, I I thought it was interesting having the guy at second base. It wasn't as awful as I thought a lot of people thought it would be. Yeah, I still don't like it, though. Oh, yeah, there's there's some um, Nate Archibald comments and the 
Kansas City Kings being um, also under 500 that year. There, there you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's going way back. So, um, and then I remember that that was also didn't the Kansas City Kings also play in Omaha? They were the Kansas City Omaha Kings, I think, for a while. Yeah, I think it was uh, the mid to late seventies. Yeah. And they split between Kansas City and Omaha. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, so it is odd when you get a team that is below 500 in the playoffs. And didn't you say the Brewers are under 500, right? Yeah, they're 29 and 31. And Houston's 29 and 31, too. And But they got in, you know, being second in the West, which is what Yuri's saying is that's stupid. I mean, they yeah. did, they would have been in anyways, as but they would have been a lower seed. Right. If they were doing Yuri's way. But, and that's, that's the complaint for a lot of people is that, you know, you had under 500 teams this year, but if you kept this format over 162, I'm pretty sure most of the time the 8C would win at least 82 games. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, last year, um, I believe if we had this format last year, I believe Arizona would have been the 8 seed and they won like 85 games. So it's not – it wouldn't be nearly as bad over a full season. Right. That's fair. Although in yeah. the NFL last year, Texas would have been the eighth seed with 78 wins, but that doesn't happen that often. Right. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, Houston, you know, after all the cheating and everyone was hoping they were going to play in front of fans and get booed and not much of that going on. I know Dodger fans were chasing them off the bus. Um, but the Astros, man, I mean, they're they're just a shell of what they used to be, right? I mean – Guys having down years, Verlander on the IL. It's not it's not as easy when you don't know every pitch that's coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look at Altuve's stats this year. Look, he's lost without his trash cans and buzzers. Yeah. So a lot of the yeah, and then Ber, uh, uh, yeah, Bregman has had a down year. So Correa hit like two sixty. Uh, Reddick was down in the two fifties. Not as easy. Springer was down there too. Not as easy when you don't know what's coming, huh, guys? That's exactly right. Yeah, that really- was down in like the two seventies. He'd been in like a two ninety hitter. It's not as easy when you don't know every pitch that's coming, and <laughs> this is going to get so much worse for the Astros. I mean, you got guys coming up in free agency. You know, they're going to leave to not be associated with Houston anymore. Good luck getting guys to come into that environment. You know, and being being associated with that and. What you were saying about fans, you think the fans forgot just because of the pandemic? Heck they no. Don't. no they have, if they think they got off the hook because there were no fans this year, they have no idea what is coming <laughs> to them when fans yes. are back to stadiums next year. They That's have right. no idea how much the fans are going to be all over them. Uh, I mean, they got to go to the Bronx in May. I mean – they are going to get destroyed. They got to go to Dodger Stadium in August next year. They, if they think they were off the hook this year because there were no fans this year, they're in for a very, very rude awakening in 2021. And it's just going to continue to take a mental toll on those guys, even more so. They're going to lose guys to free agency. They're losing draft picks because of this. Their reputation's damaged. It is going to get so much worse for the Astros over these next couple of years. 
And me personally, the Astros are coming to Petco in the first weekend of September next year. I can't wait. I can't wait. Did they ever figure out like who was the ringleader of the whole conspiracy? Um, it sounds like uh, Beltron was a big part of that as a player because you know the Mets fired him as manager before he even managed a game. Greatest manager in Mets history. He never lost a game. <laughs> right. And um, obviously, I think Alex Cora had a lot to do with it because you know Boston fired him and then he got suspended. Obviously, A.J. Hinch was part of that because he got in trouble. Jeff Lunau, the GM, got in trouble. You know, I think they were just – I think those four guys were behind it. Well, Lunau more didn't stop it, but the other three were the ringleaders, I think. Yeah, that's something. Um, My question yeah. about the whole thing is, what are the home plate umpires doing? How do they not hear these guys banging the trash can? How do they not look at the dugout and be like, uh, what's going on? Yeah, well, you know, when you he- when you watch the replay and you can hear the trash can, you're like, what in the hell's going on? And, I, and when I was listening or watching those replays, I was wondering if they were optimizing the audio to make the trash can louder than it would have been in real life. But if that was legit, like that, was, if I was hearing what they were hearing, yeah, how would the umpire not hear it? And how would the other team not know they were being duped? Well, teams knew. Like, I think um- – uh, who was it? Lucroy in 2018, Jonathan Lucroy in 2018 when it was Oakland got suspicious and a bunch of other catchers uh, around the league and teams around the league did because going into the world series last year against the nationals, I think it was Jan Gomes or Kurt Suzuki. One of the nationals catchers was saying, we couldn't believe how many teams, how other teams were telling us, Hey, watch out for the Astros. They're stealing all your signs. And they were saying, I think it was Gomes was saying the Ast- the Nationals, excuse me, changed their signs like 23 times in the World Series or something in seven games. Wow. that's Also, that's more impressive than ever that Washington won that series. They, they beat a team that knew everything that was coming. Yeah, unbelievable. Wow. That makes that even more impressive for Washington. I just, I, like I said, though, the, the, it's going to get the, – the Astros thought they had it bad this year, you know, with, with the limited heckling that fans got in in spring training and, you know, the Dodgers were throwing at them, you know, fans, you know, yelling at them from the team bus from outside the stadium. Inside the stadium next year, it's going to get so much worse for the Astros. The worst is very far away for them. It is coming next year, and the Astros, they might never recover from this. <laughs> and, and you know the fans and all the vi- and all the other stadiums are just going to love every minute of it. Oh, um, I know. Can you imagine Dodger Stadium next August when the Astros come rolling into town? Yeah. I mean, they, that's going to be dangerous. Like they might have to get the Astros extra security getting from the team bus to the ballpark. Yeah, I mean it's going to be like a, a one long chorus of boos for you know every inning that they're on the, at the plate. Yeah, that's going to be something. Like I think there was a documentary or something. Somebody saying um, um, when the Raiders were in LA and the you know games were at the Coliseum, and there was somebody that was some really famous NFL player was saying when you played the Raiders at the LA Coliseum, the hardest part was getting off the bus. I think you might see that at Dodger Stadium when the Astros come to town next August. Really? Wow, yeah, that's going to be fun. So. Um... Yeah, so God, I'm just really looking forward to Wednesday. You know, Padres postseason. Not sure who's going to start, but I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be terrific. 
I mean, yeah, like I said, you know, um, just great to have this, you know, a bright spot in a really crappy year uh, just overall and, you know, a necessary distraction for us. And there's a guy in here who knows a thing or two about that. So, you know, man, just so great to have that this year, you know, so grateful that we even got a season and we got through it, let alone the Padres being as good as they were and getting into the postseason. You know, just thanks so much, Padres, for giving us, you know, a distraction in this crappy year. Yeah, really. It has been one of the few bright spots, that's for sure. Um, just let me just completely change direction here for a bit. What do you think of the Aztec basketball program? And they got out on the court, you know, earlier this week for the first time. How do you think that's going to shape up? I mean, there is so much unknown. Who are we going to play? Where are we going to play them? You know, is it going to be a bubble? Is it going to be in, Vegas, in an MVP arena? We just, we have no idea. I mean, it's it's hard to comment right now because we don't even know who we're playing or where we're playing them. It's just, are they going to play? It's just, it's such a mess right now. You can't even really tell. But we know where the Aztec football team is going to play. And we were all blown away by that news. I was caught off guard. Like, I mean, I thought they were just going to play at Qualcomm until the new one was built or SDCCU or whatever the heck it's called now. I mean, right. I thought they were just going to play there until the new one. I was, I was caught off guard. And I got to tell you, I mean, it doesn't matter for, you know, you know, the Mount West announced, you know, the eight game season starting October 24th. It doesn't matter for this year because California is not going to allow fans in 2020 for anything. So it doesn't matter for this year, but 2021, are you going to be going all the way up to Carson for games? Well, I might, but the Aztec fans are just so hardcore. I think a lot of people will go. Here's my thing about the whole thing is that Aztec football is number three for me of the three major San Diego teams. They are my third of the three. Like they are way behind the Padres in Aztec basketball for me. A lot of that, you know, a lot of years, you know, they're, you know, for 2015, two, not two, 2014, you know, 2018, 2019. There's a lot of years where even though they're, you know, competitive team, they're just not fun to watch. <laughs> Quite honestly, you know, even if they go undefeated, you know, they're never going to make the college football playoff. You know, maybe they'll get, you know, a New Year six if they get lucky, you know, but it's just the ceiling's so limited. They don't play exciting football out of years. And, you know, obviously with the Padres, you know, that's a major league team. You know, baseball's my favorite sport. You know, Petco's awesome. Great going to the games, you know. And Aztec basketball is – Dias is a great environment when they're good, you know. And college basketball, if you get in, you can make a run. So, you know, that's – and basketball's my second favorite sport after baseball too. So that's why Padres and Aztec basketball are just way ahead of Aztec football for me. So – I don't envision myself going up to StubHub unless it's a really good matchup against like a Pac-12 team. Maybe, maybe Boise State, you know, maybe a Mount West championship game. But for, you know, I'm not going up to StubHub to see him play or Dignity Health Sports Park. I'm sorry. I'm not going all the way up to Carson to see him play Wyoming or um, who else? Or Wyoming or Hawaii or right Colorado State. That is not going to happen for me. 
Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I, I'm Padres one, Aztec hoops two. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't pay attention to the NFL anymore. So when the Chargers moved. I abandoned the NFL, and then I started really becoming more invested in Aztec football. And you know, I usually go to like maybe one game a year, and I have a fun time going every time I've gone. Um, would I consider going up to LA? I might. You know, actually, it sounds kind of interesting. I never in a million years would I have gone to see the Chargers up there. But I would maybe consider going to see the Aztecs there just on a whim, just for something different to do. The only time you can get me up to L.A. when the Chargers are playing, there's got to be two conditions, the three. One, I got to – one, you got to have me ruin for the other team. Two, it's got to be, you know, somebody that's super exciting to watch, like a Patrick Mahomes, or it's got to be like, you know, Penny, an Aztec player that I love. Right. But the funny thing is – I have plans for 2021 to go all over the place to see the Padres. I I currently have plans to see the Padres in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Denver, uh, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, um, to see the Padres, uh, Arlington to see the Padres next year. So I'll travel all over the place for the Padres. I love uh, Padres, man. I'm, I might be the biggest super fan of them all for the Padres. That's awesome. I mean, you've been to a lot of those stadiums already. Um, I have not been to San Francisco. I have not been to Arlington, obviously. Nobody has because it's the first season and there's been no fans this year. Mm-hmm. Haven't been to Cincinnati. Was supposed to be there in August this year before COVID happened. Have not been to Philadelphia. I have been to L.A., but it was 10 years ago before two rounds of renovations. The second one, which nobody's seen yet because it was this year. Well, you're going to really enjoy um, San Francisco. What is it? Now it's called AT&T. No, it's called Oracle. Right? Yes, it's Oracle Park, I think. You're going to love that. That's a great facility. Um, and uh, um, I've never, I've never been to Cincinnati. I've been to a bunch of stadiums, but well, Great American, Great American Ballpark looks pretty amazing on TV. And you know, it's right on the Ohio River too. Yeah, that one. And then, of course, Pittsburgh is a fantastic looking stadium yeah, too. Actually, we plan to be in Pittsburgh July 1st, the day in between Padres Reds and Cincinnati on June 30th and Padres Phillies in Philadelphia on July 2nd. Really looking forward to that trip. That's the makeup trip from the trip that was supposed to happen this year. Well, that sounds like a great a great trip. It'd be fun to go to all those stadiums. Um, good excuse for a road trip, no doubt. So good for you. I think that's going to be fantastic. So that's 2022, did you say? No, that's next year, 2021. 2021. So next year. Well, yeah, April, well, April, we're going to see Padres. Uh, my dad and I are seeing Padres Rangers in Arlington at the new ballpark next April. A um, little over six months from now. I'm really excited. Nice. That's awesome. Now, wh- why why did Texas build a new stadium? Was it because that the previous one wasn't that old? I mean, it was out. They were they were having trouble drawing fans, you know, because it was so because, you know, it was an outdoor stadium in the Dallas area in the heart of Texas. You know, it gets like 110 degrees in the summer. And then, you know, you got storms, you know, it's it, they I don't know why they didn't uh, build um, the, the old globe wipe with a roof. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be a fun experience. You know, when you're a newbie in a new stadium, I remember I went to um well, back then it was Bank One Ballpark when the Diamondbacks first opened. And I, we went there for the last series of the season, and I got to see Greg Vaughn hit his 50th home run. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And that was 
I think the first year for Bank One Ballpark. I think. Yeah, for the Diamondbacks inaugural year. Yeah, so that was a, that was a lot of fun to go to a brand spanking new stadium um, and experience it. You know that first year, so you'll really I, enjoy Arlington. I went to City Field the year it opened, two thousand nine. Ah, okay, right on. Yeah, I, I was at Shea. I was never at City Field. Shea's um, the one New York stadium I haven't done because I've done I did the old Yankee Stadium. I did. I've done the new one. I did City Field. Did not do Shea. That's the one New York baseball stadium I have not been to, or never went to. I should say. And then Shea's been torn down, right? It must have been. Yeah, it's a parking lot for City now. Okay, that makes sense. And I remember, like the was it the the site of the of the U.S. Open for tennis is right there too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, like when I went to to Shea. The yeah the 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 stadium for the tennis because it's right there. Was it they call it Flushing? Was it Flushing Meadows? I think yes, yes. That, that area, yeah. So yeah, that's right there as well. Um, you know, it, you know what would really be fun actually is, and this is kind of a, just an oddball thing to do, but to go into New York to the actual location where you know the polo grounds were or. Ebbets Field was. or well, Ebbets Field is apartments now. It is. Yeah. I don't know what polo grounds is now. It would just be fun to kind of go there and just kind of see if there's like any memorabilia or like plaques or something around there. The old Tiger Stadium in Detroit is now the site of um, youth sports uh, parks. Oh, right on. So they're still playing ball in it. Yeah, it's a bunch of youth sports uh, parks now. Um I think I've seen a sixth stadium where Seattle minor league teams played in the one-year experiment of the Seattle Pilots um, was, I think it's like a the site of like some grocery store, maybe like a Walgreens or something now. I'm not sure. Interesting. Or like a Rouse or something. I don't know, but it that's um, the old sixth stadium in Seattle site. So um, your friend Alex said, hopefully they'll allow fans in Dallas like they're talking about. I'll be down there if they do. He's talking about for the um, NLCS and World Series. Are they really considering having fans? I mean, you know, just down the street, there were 21,000 people at the Cowboys-Falcons game last week. Wow. And there'll be another 21,000 people at the uh, Browns-Cowboys game on Sunday. Oh, a Home Depot. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, Alex is is a junkie for that same YouTube video where I (laughs) found that out so he would know. Wow, so they actually there's a chance they might have fans at the World Series. Yeah, and and LCS there. I mean, I would think about doing that, but there's no chance it would happen. And you know why it wouldn't happen for us in California? Because you know that if say us or the Dodgers made the NLCS or World Series in Arlington, you know uh, Governor uh, Newsom would be like, "Oh, you got to have a 14 day quarantine if you when you come back from Texas." And I just can't afford to you know not work for two weeks. I can't do that. Yeah, really. So yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that'll play out. That's interesting. Um, yeah, so good for you. And yeah, that's a, you got something really to look forward to in 2021. Uh, that should be a good time. And I've seen photos of you and your family. I think at Wrigley and at uh, Coors Field and okay. and. Was it at Fenway or, or Yankee Stadium? I think I've seen fit pictures of you and your family. So good for you. Well, my dad posted a memory from uh, Yankee Stadium a couple weeks ago. Right on. Yeah, good for him. Your dad's a good guy. Um, so, 
Cool. All right. Well, we we're blabbing long enough here. We've gone over an hour and a half, so I, I don't want to go too much longer. Yeah, I know. You're loaded. You have so much to offer, David. You you need to have your own podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to work on that. So, you know, I'll help you get it started. Um, I'll, I'll help you. I can show you how to do it and do it inexpensively. Um, but you definitely need to have your own platform because you have so much to offer. I mean, you really oh, do. Yuri's got a great question. What is your uh, favorite game that you saw in person? My personal favorite was in the last game of the 89 season when Tony won the batting title over Will the Thrill Clark. Tony went three for four, if I remember correctly, and won it by a few points. All right, I'll start. I got two. One, Trevor Hoffman's 500 save in on June 6, 2007 at Petco against the Dodgers. And two, I was at Coors Field for the 11-4 to comeback uh, last June. Oh, wow. 16, 12, and 12 innings. So those two, easily, if we're just talking baseball. If you want to add another sport, um, my dad and I were in um, Arizona for the – San Diego State Arizona State game in 2017 when Penny dominated, had the 99 yard kickoff return, 95 yard rushing touchdown, finished with like 200 rushing yards, I think it was. They had a 33 yard receiving touchdown and that kickoff return touchdown. So those those are mine. What about you for favorite games you've seen in person? You know, I I've gone to a lot of games and I always seem to go to the games that are just sort of ho-hum. I don't the only game I'm remembering off top of mind that I saw that would be considered memorable like for something like that is um I was at the last game that Willie McCovey ever played. Ooh. So so it was at Candlestick Park and it was a day game and I don't I think it was unexpected he was announcing his retirement in the middle of the year. And it might have been like I was in high school. So was it like 1980, I think, is when he retired. Um, that was that was cool. It was unexpected. And it turned out to be, yeah, he, he retired. And they kind of had a ceremony, you know, when they pulled him off the field, like in the middle of the game. So that was cool. Um, but I can't remember anything else. It wasn't, you know, like I, I, at any other sort of famous game. But Yuri, I mean, that that 89 season, I remember that where that batting championship was so close and came down to, you know, down by a few points. It might have even been a fraction, like, a, a, you know, the fourth decimal place to separate those two that year. It was that close. So that that's special. Good for you, Yuri. That's a good Another thing. Another thing about 89 that nobody talks about is that was the year the Giants made the World Series, lost the A's in the Earthquake Series. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Padres were only, like, three or four games behind the Giants, I believe, that year in the NOS. Yeah, that was the Mark Davis year. Um, and he won the Cy Young that year, I think. Wasn't it? I yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that was also the year that Will Clark just was awesome in the NLCS against the Cubs. Yeah, that was that. The year, um, that was actually what led to, you know, to catchers covering uh, pitchers and catchers covering their mouths with their glove. Because in that NLCS, Will Clark was able to read Greg Max's lips, fastball high and in, and crushed it for a grand slam. <laughs> so that was, yeah, I, I think I have heard that story before. That's a good one. Wow. So that's where it all started. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great, I mean, I was a huge, I remember I was back in the late 80s, uh, my friend Jack in San Francisco organized, you know, fantasy baseball. And this is before the internet. And back then it was called rotisserie baseball. 
And we would, he did it all on, on a Lotus one, two, three spreadsheet. It was unbelievable what he did. And I remember always drafting Will Clark for my teams because he was just so damn good. And I was a Giants fan. That was at the very, very end of uh, me being Giants number one. And I think it might've been the following year, 90, that I flipped to Padres one. But yeah, I've always liked Will Clark. And I know there's a lot of people that give him a lot of crap, but uh, you know, good for him. I've always thought he was a great player. Yeah, he's he was very good with the Giants in the 80s. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, why why in the hell does Will Myers only use one L in his name? I can't figure that one out. I've never figured it out either, and I probably never will, but... It's got to be short for William, right? William yeah. Myers? Yes. Yeah, it's got to be. So that's always that always struck me as odd. Um but yeah, yeah. So I, I I wish I could say I was at some other like big time game, and you know what? I I probably have been, but I just can't remember. So oh well. Um, I think I told you that I've been to so many games I've never caught a foul ball ever. Yeah, I remember that we were talking about that on the March episode. Um, yeah, right before everything shut down. And you caught that one in the outfield at Peoria, looking like a like a like a million dollar player. Yeah, um, that was, ten days that was before awesome. ten days before spring training got shut down, was there just in time? Yeah, good for you. On my birthday, had, too. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, and you look like a million bucks out there catching that ball. That was something. Yeah. Yes, so, Brand William Bradford Myers. Oh, there it is. Yeah, William Branford or Bradford Myers. Yeah. So, but still, Will with one L. Yeah. It's just this is weird. If there's another significant game I've been to, I've been to I was at the Chargers last home victory in San Diego, 43-35 over Tennessee on November 6th of 2016. Oh, God, that last season everyone knew they were leaving and that was just awful. That was a swan song for sure. That was the November 6th game they won. That was the really the last week that I thought, you know, there's that was the really the last week that I thought there was a good chance they were going to stay. And after after that week, I just got less and less confident by the week that they were going to stay in San Diego. I I remember that uh, season very well. Yeah, that was sad. You know, I I had season tickets to the Chargers um, in the 90s. And what yeah, I was I had the season tickets that year. So um, what was the year that they went to the playoffs the first time they went, started 0 and 4, and then they made the wild card. I think it was like 93, 92, 92. So I remember watching those playoffs and all fired up. And then the following season, we got season tickets and I had them all the way up through the 1997 season. And then my daughter was born and then there was just no way you could have, NFL season tickets and have an infinite home. No. Impossible. impossible. But um, I remember those were great years for the Chargers and we had a great time. But man, going to an NFL game, it was like an all day gig, you know, if you want to get there and take in the whole tailgate experience. But man, it was so much fun. I mean, it, it, it is a lot of fun, but it's it's an all day thing, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, I never went to like a Chargers playoff game, I only went to four regular season games, but all four of them. I had a freaking blast out. I mean, it is an all day thing and it's a big commitment, but it is so worth it. I tell you. Yeah, yes, it was all right. So all good. Well, David, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, 
you we're almost now on uh, closing up on two hours. So um, just give me your final thoughts on the Padres and the major league uh, baseball playoffs. What do you, what do you have to say? Um, I mean, I think you're going to see the Dodgers finally do it. I mean, as much as we don't like to admit that in San Diego, um, <laughs> I think the Padres, whatever they do, they do. They're set up great for the future. And, I mean, if they don't win the World Series this year, how great would it be to see the first uh, World Series championship happen in person at Petco Park? So, I mean, it's it's really a no-lose situation when you look at it that way. Yeah, for sure. Hey, ironic there. Alex got a comment that his dad had Chiefs season tickets until right about when he was born. So, I think Alex's dad knows how you felt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and even if you can sneak away for a ball game, it's just a total guilt trip that your wife is home with an infant. It's just impossible. Well, so. I think um, if you go to, you know, a baseball game, you know, you don't, you know, that's not a thing. I mean, I go early for hours early for batting practice, but I mean, that's not, you know, something that everybody does. You know, you can just show up at game time. You know, you don't even have to stay the whole game for uh, baseball. It's it's totally different than NFL game and a lot more friendly for younger people at MLB games than NFL. So MLB is a lot different. Um, You know, you can have, you know, season tickets or go to a ton of games, even with an infant for MLB, but NFL, like you said, just can't do it. No way. Impossible. Too many damn drunk Raider fans. (laughs) So uh, yeah, there's no way that works. Um, All right. So Wednesday at two o'clock is game one. um, And then Thursday, what time is the game? Do you know? They have not determined any game times beyond Wednesday. I'm assuming that's because they are trying to figure out, you know, who gets, you know, the earlier or later games, you know, if there's AL series that go to a game three. So it's going to be all dictated by television, which makes sense, right? Oh, I mean, it's always dictated by television, especially this year when, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, fans showing up to games, you don't have to worry about accommodating fans going to games. So it's, it's a hundred percent by television this year. Right. Okay. Well, they're going to have to have a night game to make that drive in theater work. So um, we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, I'd say that there's a, if, if it gets to a game three, I think it would almost for sure be a night game. Cause I don't see how Milwaukee wins a game against LA and that would be so that it would either be us or Oakland to have the night game if both went to a game three. And I think Oakland's going to mop the floor of the White Sox in two. I mean, what, Chicago's really limping into the AL playoffs. Yes, that, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yuri uh, says, uh, great show again, John. A lot more fun than politics. Yeah. And nice to talk to you and David. Take care, guys. Yeah. Yuri Bull and just a good man. Um, like I said, uh, uh, a Poway guy ran for mayor in 2018 loves our city and a big, big giants fan. So thank you, Yuri, for joining us. I appreciate that. And yeah, it is nice to not talk about politics. Politics are always a nightmare, especially right now. Yeah, exactly. So it's funny. It's like I do a lot of politics podcasts and a lot of times when I bring up the Padres, they get angry. The political people don't want to hear sports and then the sports people don't want to hear about politics, which makes sense. Um, But it's just funny. It's just a funny thing. All right. I mean, we went on for a long time. Any other closing comments before we wrap this up? I know. I I just got to say, man, we have to break the San Diego sports curse. And, you know, we got to We got to beat the Cardinals. 
you know, they smoked us in 96 and 05 and 06. We have some uh, unfinished business with them. So this is really about, um, you know, it's like when the, when the Padres won, uh, you know, the, the uh, they clinched the wild card. Remember they came out with the t-shirt says respect San Diego. That's what yeah. this is about. Also, I got to mention that people who might be watching this, who's, who tell me that they don't think curses are real. He mentioned the San Diego sports curse, not me. Yeah, it's he true. He mentioned it, not me. I have people telling me curses aren't real. I didn't mention the curse. He did. <laughs> yeah, but we did talk about the futility of all these sports programs in San Diego for so darn long. Yeah. We, we danced around it for sure. So anyways, yeah, I just think that this postseason, I'm looking at it entirely about respect San Diego. Let's see if San Diego can get on the big stage and make a run, make a splash, um, get by the Cardinals and then really be competitive against the Dodgers in the second round. That would really fill my boat, um, and that would really kind of give us a lot of confidence and momentum going into the next season. And then who knows? Maybe we can get hot, and maybe we catch the Dodgers on a bad day, and then next thing we know, we're on our way. You know, it it could happen. It could happen. You can never rule anything out. I mean, it's been a crazy year. I mean – I don't think we'll beat the Dodgers, but I don't think we'll just roll over and die. <laughs> no. So let's first things first. Game one, Wednesday at two o'clock. Will it be Zach Davies? Will it be Chris Paddock? Will it be Garrett Richards? You know, what's it going to be? I think we're going to find out soon. But Crucial game one on Wednesday. I'm telling you, yeah. absolutely crucial game one. And it's not going to be easy against St. Louis. Don't be fooled by the record. This is not going to be easy against St. Louis. Not at all. It's not going to be easy. I'm with you there, 100%. You know, guys are a thorn in the side. Another thing that you got to mention, this is my closing comment. St. Louis has a tendency when they're like a lower seed, whether it's the three seed, the worst division winner, or a wild card, they have a tendency as a lower seed to make some noise. Yeah. 2002, they got to the NLCS as the three seed. They beat defending champion Arizona, who was the two. You know, 06, we, we know that story. 2011, everybody knows that story. They snuck in on the last day, came back from 11 and a half down to Atlanta, you know, shocked the Phillies, you know, beat Milwaukee, and then came back on Texas in the World Series. The next year, they were the second wild card. They got to a game seven of the NLCS. 2014, they were big underdogs against uh, – as a three seed against uh, the Dodgers beat them in the division series, you know, just last year they were the three seed and they ended up in the NLCS. I mean, these guys, even when they're not a very high seed, they, they, they're, they're pesky. They're a thorn in the side, especially in our history. They're one of those teams that never sucks, right? They're the worst that they do is mediocre. Yeah, they haven't had a losing record since 2007. Yeah, exactly. So they just, they're always consistently good. And so, you know, that goes to ownership and management and good for them. So, yeah, we can't take this one lightly. It's going to be tough. And, you know, we're going to cross our fingers and hope for the best. Yeah, but like I said, whatever happens this year, we are headed in the right direction. And this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. A lot of fun memories and can't wait to get down to Petco Park next spring and summer and see the boys play. I mean, 
it's just it's just so San Diego too that we've been waiting for a team like this for years, and it's the season where there's no fans. Like Marco <laughs> Gonzalez, uh, the lefty for Seattle, was saying in an interview like how he wishes there were fans this year, not only you know at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, but like for the Adrenaline Rush and other stadiums. And he's like, it's so weird, you know, going to New York, Boston. And then he 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 said this word for word. Even San Diego would have been crazy this year. He said that. Yeah. And we know here in San Diego, when we got a winner, how fired up people get. I mean, there's Padre fever going around here, you know, when we can't go to games. You know, I got friends who are as casual as it comes when it comes to baseball, texting that they've been watching all the games, you know. And I think that's really going to, you know, lead to a big-time attendance boost next year. I think we might set a franchise record in attendance next year. People, there is Padre fever going around this town yeah, and, and, they, when and when we're allowed to go back to Petco Park again, we're going to fill the place up. There is Padre fever, and it's going to stay for a while because this isn't like these other teams. Like in 07, we were bummed because, you know, we had some free agents coming up. We didn't have the greatest farm system. 2010, we were bummed because we had a bunch of guys on one-year contracts, and there was the Adrian Gonzalez situation. But 98, obviously, that was before my time. I was just a baby then, but that was all in on that year. This is so different. I mean – you, like I was saying earlier on the podcast, we are set up for 2021 and beyond, and we're going to be good for a long, long time. We're not going anywhere. There's going to be a lot of fun years at Petco Park down the road, and I can't wait for it. This team's going to be good for a while, and we deserve it for all we've sat through as San Diego sports fans. We definitely deserve it. No doubt about it, man. We've suffered too damn long. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just focus on game one Wednesday at two o'clock. David, it's been a pleasure having you here on the podcast. I always look forward to you being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we cover so much. And and you are just a wealth of information. Um, The way you're pulling the, the statistics and the data, you know stuff about things that happened in my era better than I know myself. So good for you. You need your own podcast, my friend. Right, thank you. I would love to do that. And thank you guys, everybody who tuned in. Thank you guys for sticking around this long. I know we carried on a while. It was fun having an audience in here. Thank you guys for commenting and leaving your thoughts and asking questions. Okay. Well, this concludes episode 169 of the John Riley Project. David, thank you, and go Padres. All right.